Good morning. Very glad you're all here this morning, even though the clouds came after such a sunny week. Um, <clears throat> I don't know uh, if this exactly applies to you, but I have noticed a trend uh, very recently <clears throat> over the last few years. More and more people are becoming more and more clued into, into what food they're eating, uh, what the food that they're eating does. Um, I remember when I was growing up, basically it was don't eat too much sugar and don't eat greasy food, and pretty much that was the, the only thing that mattered about, about you, how, how your diet was made up. That was the, if you remember the food pyramid, all the carbohydrates are on the bottom, all the breads and pastas, eat most of those. Well, they flipped that round and they've changed everything, and they're, they're learning more, and, and, and people are getting more and more involved. And uh, I remember growing up as well, you'd hear of people in America with food allergies, and this was a very weird idea, you know, that, that people had food allergies, but uh, that people could actually die from eating a peanut or, you know, die from eating fish. And that's just really odd because I hadn't seen anything like that. But there, there really are people, you know, if, if they eat a peanut or, you know, a peanut product or a, a, a chocolate bar that was made in a factory where there are peanuts that they can actually go into anaphylactic shock and need and, you know, epinephrine or go to the hospital and, you know, some solution like that. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, over, you have, you have to weigh things up because... On the whole, 150 years ago, most people didn't live, you know, the general population didn't live much past 40 or 50, you know, and so we've done, you know, we have all these benefits of, of how, we've, how we've changed our diets and people are living longer in general. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the diets are much better, and, but we're noticing side effects of these things. And so there are those people with life-threatening uh, allergies, but there are also people with, Eh, sort of allergies. You know what I'm talking about? People who, who need to avoid gluten. They're not going to die if they eat gluten. But gluten, eh, it's not the best thing for them. Or need to avoid dairy. You know, it's not that they're going to die if they eat dairy, but they realized, you know, the, the long-term effects on, on, on taking dairy is they just feel down. And, you know, if taking dairy out of their diet or taking gluten out of their diet makes them feel much more energized and able to go about life because gluten is affecting them, dairy is affecting them. Um, so it's, you know, not quite the same thing, but knowing that and knowing that, you know, well, it's not as big a deal as life-threatening. Sometimes people can realize, I have a gluten, you know, intolerance, in you know. Now, I, I have this thing. Uh, have you met someone with gluten intolerance? You know, they're not, they're not great. Someone in your extended family or friends, you know someone who gluten isn't the best thing for them. And <clears throat> inevitably, I'm not, I'm, this is a broad brush, so this probably isn't the person you know, but they go to a party or, you know, there's food going around, they ask, is there gluten in this? Is there gluten in this? You know, they're asking, is there gluten in that? And, you know, you have to say, well, I'm not sure. So probably the answer is yes, so unless you know there's not gluten in it, you know. But <clears throat> I go to parties now, and what I, I ask is there gluten in this? And, you know, they say, I'm not sure. Because I have a gluten deficiency. And if I don't have gluten, if I don't have gluten, I'll get very sick. So I, jo I joke about it like that because people are, are, are too tuned in and, and too, you know, is there gluten in this? But, you know, people trying to avoid gluten because, oh, it wouldn't make me feel great. But when you're on that, that, that when you have that situation, you really could go either way. 
you know, if it's not the best thing for you, you can take some and you won't die. So sometimes someone's figured out, listen, last several years I've been lacking energy. I've realized that I really shouldn't be eating dairy products. But they go on eating dairy products anyway because they'd rather have an ice cream than give up ice cream. You know, I'd rather live with a little bit less energy and have, you know, proper milk in my cereal, not coconut milk, because how can you milk a coconut? You know, um, you know, have you ever tried to milk soy? I, I've never, you know, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, so people, even though these things are, are real effects in their lives, you know, it's in us. It's like, oh, way up, the, I'll, I'll, I'll eat that chocolate bar anyway. I'll, I'll eat, you know, I'll, I'll have, have that piece of cake because I, I don't care if there's gluten in it and it's going to make me feel bad, I'll take it anyway. And so even... You know, isn't it sort of in us that even though we know something might be bad for us, we'll take it anyway? We'll weigh it up and we'll say, oh, I'll take it right now. Or we don't take the solution that really is the solution to our problem. You know, if you want energy um, and that's your problem, then you avoid gluten or you'd avoid dairy. But, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I'll weigh it up. I'll take it anyway. You know, no, I don't. I'm pretty sure this isn't a real story because it sounds pretty intense. Um, But I was told the story of a a kid in America who had that level of food allergy where if he ate a peanut, he would die. And, you know, his throat starts inflaming, he can't inhale, you know, no oxygen, he'll suffocate. This is terrible. And he was so tired of seeing everyone enjoy what... uh, They're starting to sell them here, but there's a Reese's peanut butter chocolate cup where it's, it's a, like a uh, sort of a half cupcake with chocolate and peanut butter in the middle. And, you know, kids love these in America. And he saw all of his friends enjoying them in school. And he had this peanut allergy so he could never have them. And one day he just said, I'm sick of this. He took out his EpiPen, put it on the table, took his friend's uh, Reese's peanut butter and bit into it and stabbed himself with the EpiPen and told the, t- the teacher he needed to go to the hospital. But he wanted to have that, that peanut butter. And sometimes, we, even if we know something's bad for us, we will go for it. And sometimes if we know what the solution is, we won't take it. Now, the thing is, in our heads, every single one of us, every single one of us know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if we have a need, do you know who the answer is? God. I don't care what your need is this morning. It might be very personal that you, know, you can't really talk to people that you don't trust or, you know, it could be something that's so obvious everyone knows about. It, it might be a health issue, it might be a financial issue, and whatever your need is, I can promise to you God is the answer. Without, without reservation, I don't have to know about your problem, but, but I know who God is. And I know that God is the solution to your problem. And the thing is, you know that as well, don't you? It's not a surprise to you when I tell you God is the solution to your problem. But sometimes, even though we know God is the solution to the, our problem, we don't approach him as the solution to our problem. You know, even though we know that, you know, we could have a better life, we could have this problem solved, or we could find the grace to live with this problem if we approached God. But we just keep going. It's like, well, I've waited up, and I could go without gluten, but I'm going to keep going with it. You know, I'm going to have this piece of cake. We live with that, with that problem in our life. Instead of going to God as the solution, knowing that he's the solution, we continue. We keep going in um, with, with the problem when we don't have to uh, the way it is. 
And so God is the solution to your need. You must approach him as your answer. I'm going to have you, uh, today we're in Mark chapter 5. If you'd like to turn there, you're welcome to, but it's on the screen for you through through the message. Uh, Mark chapter 5 and verse 24, we're going to be talking today about a woman who had a long-term illness, a physical illness. A lot of times in the Gospels, you see Christ healing people with physical illness. And that's just to show how, how great and how powerful he is. But often he connected that directly with the spiritual need that people had by saying, your sins are forgiven. To show that his, his power to, you know, the problem that this guy can't walk or the problem that, that this, this child is possessed of a devil or this person with palsy or plague, whatever the problem is, you know, that's just so small. That's, that's n- nothing in comparison to eternity, but Christ turns around and forgives sin as well. And so whatever your need is, whether it's, it's as present and obvious as an illness or as great as sins being forgiven, Christ is the answer. Uh, but this lady in Mark chapter 5, uh, we will start reading verse 20. I'll start reading verse 21 to give you a little bit of background and, and, and her story starts in 24. Um, and when Jesus was passed over again uh, by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered uh, many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. So here's this woman. Now, like I said, we've made great strides in, in medicine and, and nutrition and diet and these things so that uh, average people, everyday people, not just rich people, can live a full life in the, in the West. Uh, you know, we can live a full 70 years without having special, special access. That's just the normal expectancy now. That wasn't the normal expectancy in the West 150 years ago. That wasn't the normal, but we've made great strides. So, you know, if you just went back 150 years the doctors wouldn't be as great. You go back 200 years and they're, they're, they're bleeding you out. If you have a problem, we'll get rid of some of your blood and that should fix you. We know, no, don't, don't take out blood now. Blood's what's helping me get better. I need all the blood in my body. Keep it where it is. You know, leeches, that's a terrible, terrible thing. You know? Well, that's just going back 200 years. If you, imagine going back to the time of this lady, this lady back in the time of Christ 2,000 years ago. And the doctors are trying their best. They really are. But she has this flow of blood, uh, probably a menstrual uh, thing going on there. And you know, she has this flow of blood and no doctor's helping her. And you think of the tools they had, not the, you know, the precision scalpel that they have today or you know, <coughs> a, a, you know, forget about microscopes and cameras on the end of sticks or, or tubes. You know, there's, there's none of that. They're just, you know, guessing, and they might as well be bludgeoning her, her with, with what, all the medicine that they have because it's, it's not skilled. It's not precise. So you imagine going to doctors for 12 years. She was worse. 
at the end of their treatment than she was at the beginning. Now, I have to paint the picture just a little bit more for you, okay? So this lady had had this for 12 years. In the laws of Leviticus, the laws Moses gave that had to do with cleanness and uncleanness, that's about ceremonial uncleanness. For you to be in the congregation, you have to be ceremonially clean. Now, the idea of you can't touch a dead body and go in and worship God. You have to wait, cleanse yourself and then wait until sundown or wait seven days. There were different uh, wait times for, for cleansing to be ceremonially clean again. And a lot of that had to do with God protecting uh, Israel from spreading diseases. So lepers were unclean. No one could go near a leper. And that makes sense to us because we understand now more about uh, communicable diseases. You could get leprosy you know, by contact from uh, from this discharge from the, the, the person somehow. Uh, so God said, they're unclean, you don't touch them. Oh, that makes sense. And if you do touch them, you wash yourself. Oh, that makes sense. We understand more about that. But there, there was a pictorial aspect to it as well. So even though we w- would understand there's nothing necessarily wrong with, with the, the monthly cycle of a woman, it's something that, that uh, makes you ill, uh, but there, there was a protection built in and, and a ceremonial thing that God built into this. Well, this, this lady had this issue of blood for 12 straight years. Do you know what? That meant she was ostracized. She was continually unclean. Now, it's not that she was infectious and would give this to but she was unclean. She couldn't go around normal life like any other Jewish lady. She had to be distant. That means strangers, you know, couldn't go near her, couldn't touch her. And, you know, her friends and her family, if they, if they had to contact with her, they had to cleanse themselves and wait the, uh, until the end of the day to be clean again. If she touched something around the house, you know, so her bed, her, her dishes, whatever she touched was ceremonially unclean. It had to be cleaned and then uh, before someone else could touch it. Or if someone else touched that without it being cleaned first, they were unclean. So this had massive impact socially for her whatever her life was going about daily business she was in the, uh, she was put to the outside everything all of her relationships all of her interactions her business uh, anything that she could go about she was pushed to the outside for 12 straight years and every time she tried to to get a solution she'd go to a new doctor or a new thing and you know we we hear about that with, you know, if, if, if you hear, you know, someone has, has this type of cancer and it's not treatable, but you hear about a new treatment over in America, well, someone's going to fly. If you, you have that type of cancer and it can't be treated in Ireland, they're going to try. If you have any way possible, if you have the money, going to go to America, try this trial medicine just to be here. This is what this lady is doing. So she, she's tried her doctor, you know, the normal doctor that treated her family and, and, and it was no better for it. And, you know, and that's, that's in Capernaum, and, and, and no one... No, well, did you hear about that guy over in Bethsaida? He's a great doctor. Like, he, he helped someone. You, know, you should really try this, this doctor. So she go over to Bethsaida. And, oh, did you hear about the doctor in Nazareth? He's, you know, it's a rough area, but he's a great doctor. And you know, he'd really help. And so she's going around all these doctors here for 12 years. That's a long time to be under this pain. But, you know, all behind it, God is working in her life to bring her to this point. And we don't like this idea that God uses pain. 
But it's true. Her pain is driving her to desperation. And don't, don't we recognize as you look through Scripture that, that God uses pain to bring people to himself? And we think, well, that's not very loving. Is it pain? Pain isn't loving. I did this as a personal Bible study several years ago. I, went, I, I took the, the first five books of the Bible, and every time God did something or said something, I made, made it a practice just to see how is God showing love. Because the Bible says God is love. So everything God does or says shows love. And you're starting out in, in Genesis. And well, okay, creation. Well, that's, of course, that's, that's God's love. And provision of all, you know, creation of all the birds and all the animals. And, oh, this is beautiful. It has stars above. This is wonderful. There's God's love all over the place. And then, he, you know, Adam, here's your job. Adam, here's your wife. Adam, here's what you're supposed to do. That's all God's love. That's very easy. Well, we're not very far in Genesis, and all of a sudden, Adam and Eve sinned. And now they're being put outside the garden. They're being put away from the, the, the tree. Well, how is God showing love by doing that? Did you, did you look at his reasoning when he puts them away? He says, let's put them out of, out of this garden so that, well, in case they should eat of the tree of, of life and live forever as sinners. Do you know what would be terrible? You know, as hard as it is to live in this world, in this body where you're constantly tempted to sin, and you know, you're pulled towards the world, do you know what would be worse than living like that? And dying would be living like that forever. God made sure Adam and Eve couldn't live forever as sinners. He was going to let them live forever as righteous people, but he wasn't going to let them live forever as sinners. He let them die physically death so he could create them again in, in new life. Wouldn't, isn't it much better the life that you're facing is not brought down by sin? That's God showing his love. And okay, then you come to the curse. And God curses, curses the serpent. And God curses the man and says, by the, by the sweat of your brow will eat. And, and, and the, the earth will bring forth thorns. It's like, how's that showing God's love? You know, God makes the man work so much harder so that he remembers about, about turning to God. He, so that he, he, his day is not spent in, in, in frivolity and just, just messing around and, and any sin that he can draw. He has to work very hard just to get, get food on the table. And at the end of the day, he's remembering, I need God. So God built in in the curse. What about oh, pain in childbirth and multiplication of conception for the woman? Did God just hate women? No. He wants to remind her about her need for God, about even about bringing life into the world. He is, sin brings this pain, but he is the solution. So every step, uh, everything that God does, even when bringing pain into the world and pain into your life, is about turning you to him. What about the example of Job? You, you, you know the story of Job? There he is living his life. He's got 10 children. Everything's going well. His herds are multiplying. Everything's you know, just progressing. Every, all, all this right. So like, think of herds in the Old Testament as the equivalent of stocks and bonds today. He's on the stock market. He's, you know, and we use stock. You know, they're, 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 both are livestock. You know, the stock is common to both there. But you know, so Job, very rich man. Got his health. Got a good, good family. He's got his religion. Everything's going well. 
And Satan comes before God and, God, and God says, where have you been, Satan? Satan says, I've been to and fro on the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? How there's none like him, how he's a righteous man. And Satan says, he's only like that because you're so, you bless him so much. If you take away everything, he'll, he'll curse you to your face. God says, you can touch everything that he has, but don't, don't take his life. And Satan goes after it and takes away every single thing all at once. Could you imagine losing everything that you have all at once? And you think, well, why, why is God doing it? God brought the attention to Job in the first place. Why is God doing it? I'll tell you why Satan's doing it. Satan wants Job to fail. Satan wants Job to curse God. Satan wants Job to sin and to, to uh, bring shame to, to God's name and God's reputation. But why is God doing it? Because God, God's the one who, who let down the hedge of protection who let Satan attack all, all that Job had, who let uh, Satan take Job's children's lives. God's doing it because he, when you read by the end of the book, Job understood who God was. He'd heard of God before, but he said, now I see you. Now I know you. And that was God's intention all along from the very beginning. When he points Satan towards Job, when he lets down the hedge of protection... Job, by all of this pain, you're going to know me better. You're going to know me. And that's what God did with pain. Well, how is this then in this woman's life? Well, she's out and she's running from doctor to doctor. She has so much, she has physical pain, she has uh, social pain, and there's even a spiritual pain because anyone who's unclean can't go into the temple and worship. She can't stand side by side with the other ladies in the court of women and worship Jehovah in the temple because she's unclean. She can never be clean because this is a constant issue. There's, there's, there's never a time when she's reached clean, cleanliness and can go back into the temple. So uh, that pain is, uh, is from the Lord. Isn't that hard to say? It's from God. God's given it to her, and she's tried everything else. You know, there's there's no hope from men, and God hasn't God hasn't um, taken it away from her. So, but then she hears about Jesus, and she has this opportunity. Uh, verse twenty-seven, twenty-eight. There, uh, <clears throat> she hears about Jesus, and his, his reputation goes abroad, and how uh, he's healing people. She, he's healed, healed someone of palsy, and he, he's here healing people of plagues and different things. Um, she hears about Jesus and where he might be. So she gets this idea uh, in her head. She says, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. She hears about Jesus and if I can just touch him, if I can just touch his clothes, that'll be enough for me to be healed. Now, what does that imply? I mean, you might have heard of me, but no one's thinking, you know, Matthew is exuding such godliness that all of a sudden I'll be healed of my, my plague if I just touch his clothes. You have to believe something about a person to think that if I touch his clothes, he'll, I'll be healed. So she knew at least he was a prophet. Probably she's realizing that this is the Son of God. Now, Christ's reputation was building towards that and, and people were understanding more and more. And especially people who were looking for the Son of God would recognize him as being that. But 
at least she knew he is a man from God. And if this at least prophet, if not the Messiah, if I can make contact with it, just as close, God will heal me. And she does. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Um, and verses 30 and 31, and Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned, about, uh, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And uh, <clears throat> can you get the picture here? Jesus is going somewhere, and anywhere Jesus goes, all of a sudden there's a crowd. Don't you get that? Like, you know, um, now, I don't know. Uh, if, you can recognize this with other people. I think there's something ingrained in Irish people that we don't want to bother famous people. Have you, have you, have you seen this? The Irish culture, we, just, we don't like to really bother famous people. Now, I had this. I was going through, I think it was Heathrow Airport, uh, connecting to another flight, and I saw the Irish rugby team go past me. Now, my sister, Alina, loves rugby, especially the Irish team. And this is, you know, Leinster and Ireland, they're her teams. And I'm just walking past and I thought, oh, there's, there's the Irish rugby team. And it's very hard to miss, you know, 30 chaps built like fridges, you know, as they walk past you. You know, and it's like, they're the Irish rugby team. And I didn't say a thing. I didn't stop. I didn't take out my, my camera, you know, my, my phone to take a picture. I just kept walking. because, Well, you don't want to bother them. They're going about their lives. You don't want to bother them. So I just kept going, you know, and then I said, I saw the Irish rugby team and told my sister, did you take a picture with them? No. Why didn't you take a picture with them? It's like, I, I didn't, really, didn't want to bother them. And we feel that way. And uh, Elena had this, and my sister had this as well, because uh, a, few, a few years later she was, she was in Starbucks. And if you're f- familiar with the musician Bono, uh, well-known, he, he pops into Starbucks for a cup of coffee. It's very, you know, distinctive eyewear that he, you know, you know it's Bono. And I said, did you take a picture? He's like, no, I wasn't going to take a picture. You know, and, you know, and some people might ask, for, but, might ask for a signature or something, but generally, generally we just leave people alone. It's like, well, that's a famous person over there, but you whisper and you don't say anything, just in case you're, you know, you don't want to bother them. But other cultures... You know, you see people on television, all of a sudden, is that so-and-so? And a crowd, you know, they're the middle of the crowd all of a sudden. Everyone's just crying around, like, can I, t- can I touch the, can you? And, you know, or someone, a famous movie star going into a film or something, there's, there's people trying to get past the barrier, touch, touch my hand, touch my hand. Um, you know, that's, you know that, that's the idea. And here are these people who want to touch Christ. And the crowd is thronging him, the, the Bible says. So they're just, they're just packed in. Now, I've been down the streets, and uh, they've excavated those streets, and they're only about four to five feet wide. So imagine, imagine you know, even a little bit narrower than the aisle down here in the, in the church. And if everyone just decided to squash in on one person, and you're, you're stuck in the street as you're, you're trying to walk down the, down the street, everyone's just, just trying to, is this Jesus? Is this Jesus? Well, a lot of people are touching him, but only one, one woman got healed. Only one woman benefited from touching Christ. There are loads of people. So there's the disciples, and there's the crowd, and there's this woman. Well, the disciples, they touched Christ with familiarity. 
Didn't they? They, they knew Christ. You know, they, they, were, they were part of his band. They'd go around, you know, from town to town. They'd go to, uh, to different villages. And, <clears throat> you know, it, it's Jesus. Now, they had just the night before been on the sea and Christ had stilled the storm and they turned around and said, what manner of man is this? So they know there's something more about him. But day to day, general rubbing elbows, just, they're just familiar with him. They know about him and they're, they're used to him. And they didn't benefit from, from contact with Christ in the way that they could have. Now, it doesn't say that any of the disciples were sick, so you'd say, well, you know, there's no need for that. But they were unaware when Jesus asked the question, who touched me, that there was something special that could happen if you touched Christ. Do you understand that? Their question, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. They didn't understand, they, they didn't even have the idea in their head, oh, someone must have been healed. Because if someone touches Christ, they could be healed. That wasn't even on their, on their thing. They were just so familiar with Christ. Well, the, the crowd were touching in Christ for, for fame. You know, he's famous. Oh, let's, let's touch him. Isn't this great? Isn't this, I got to see Jesus. I, he passed by my shop. You know, you know, that, you know, and so you could tell the story you know, about I saw Jesus. I touched Jesus. That was, that was why all the, all the... But this one woman, she had a touch of faith. She touched Christ with faith. And that made the difference. I think, well, what, what, what difference does it make with faith? Well, quite frankly, she was the only one who was healed. Immediately, she was healed. And Jesus perceived that virtue had gone out of them. Power had gone to heal her. When, when, when faith contacts God... Power goes out. You need to know that and be part of your life because you can come to church here like those disciples and just be very familiar. Have the word of God go forward and have God as part of your life and just be familiar. Well, yeah, of course. God sends his rain on the just and the unjust and be thankful and everything and this is the will of God. And, and you know, say not to yourselves, uh, we shall do such and such, but... You know, if God wills. And, and, you know, that's part of your life. But it's, you know, God isn't really connecting with your life. And the reality is your life really isn't connecting with God. You're, but you're very familiar. You're very familiar with You could, tell, you know, quote scripture. and You have the right lingo to be in church. And, you know, you can encourage one another. But, you know, God is just, just part. And rather than being overwhelmingly supernatural in your life. Something that's more than just an ordinary life. If someone outside of the church, someone who's never heard the gospel, but who wants to live a good life, can, show, can duplicate your life exactly, there's something wrong with your Christianity. Because your Christianity is supposed to be so full of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. It's supposed to be like that, that... An unsaved person can't duplicate it. A person without God in their life can't show that forth. Because God is the one who's working it in your life. And if it's not, maybe you've become so familiar that you're not believing God to make a difference. Now, it's possible in in a room this size, there's someone here who you know about God. You know God's good, and you know church is the place to be. So you might be here for that reason. But you know... Christ is more than just a famous person. He's more than just a good person. 
He's the Son of God. He is God. And if you haven't encountered him as your Savior, if you haven't realized that you, apart from, apart from his grace, you deserve hell. If you haven't realized that your sin is, is drawing you there, but Christ is the answer. If you think your own good works are enough to get you to heaven or to get you access to the Father, you're going against what Jesus says when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Christ is your only hope. And unless you've depended on him, unless you've encountered him, unless you've believed him while in coming to him, approaching to him in faith, you might be like this crowd and just pass by. The crowd didn't get any of the power. The disciples didn't get any of the power. It was this one woman who believed God as she touched him. And if, if you're here and you, you like things about Christ, you think Christ is a good part of your life, that's not enough. You need to depend on him alone as your answer for salvation, as your only hope to gain access to God. If you're here and you're, you're used to this life and it's just, just going about things in a, in a daily schedule, and God, he, he's part of it. You know, you have you know, a, 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 a background on your phone that, that's a verse, or you know, maybe you'll, you'll turn on, on some music as you drive to work that's something about God. But God's not central to your thoughts. You're not believing him to show his power. You can be like the disciples and just be so familiar that it's not changing anything. There's no power flowing through. But this one woman, she believed. Christ, and she was desperate. Wasn't she? After 12 years, all of these different solutions that didn't work, he's my solution. He's my only hope. God is my solution. And he has blessed that man. This is the one I need to contact. And she did. Are you at that point? Are, is there something in your life where you're, you know, I just need God to deliver me. It's not about wisdom or schedule or, or diligence. And it's, I just need God. Can you, are those, the, well, you need to then turn to him. Turn to him and depend on him and, and hold on to him until he blesses you. Um, and as we, we close this lady's story, we learn that praise flows from your approaching God as your solution. Uh, and he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. Uh, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Isn't that the solution we want to our problems? Isn't that the resolution we want? We want, we want to be healed. We want to be freed. And that's what Christ can offer. Now, the other side of this is sometimes God lets something like that stay in your life. Sometimes God lets the pain stay in your life. And the example I'm thinking of is Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, where he had a thorn in the flesh, and the messenger of Satan to buffet him. And he, he, he sought after God three times, three times to take it away. And instead God said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And that changed Paul. 
Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities so that he could show forth who God is. Now, God absolutely could heal, could take away every problem, any problem that's in your life. But that's not what he promises to do. What he promises to do is to do what's best for you to be like Christ. And sometimes that means leaving a little bit of pain in your life. But the result of both those things, whether God heals you and takes away that problem, and it might not be a physical thing, it might be a, a, a mental anguish, a problem in your life, but the result is praising God. And do you know what the result for Paul was? Even when God said, I'm not taking away this problem, it was rejoicing and praise because Paul could see, if God can show forth his grace through my weakness, then that's worthwhile. And so when you see God, you should always, when you see God in faith, approach him as the solution to your need. Even if he says no, you should walk away praising him. But oftentimes, we can walk away praising him because he's healed us. But I, I, I don't want that footnote of, of the, he might leave it in your life to be the dominant thing. Because that's just a small part of sometimes we should come to God in faith believing that he can change the situation and that he wants to do what's best. And we're going to believe him for the best thing. This woman had, had no promise from God. Did she, she, there, often, uh, basically, a, a promise of faith is that we, we're looking at the word of God and seeing what God promises and coming and saying, God, you promised to do this. You're good this way. This is who you are. And uh, I don't know what your will is, but I'm, I'm asking. That's what this woman was doing. She, she said, God, I know you're good. And th- this, you have blessed Jesus. Jesus is from you. She knew that much. If I could just touch him, maybe then I'll... Be... And she believed God, so she touched his garment. And she was made whole. Have you acted consistently with what you know to be true about God? Do you believe God? Okay, that's, that's faith. Faith is, I understand these things, they're true, so I'm going to act like they're true. That What that means in salvation is, I have depended on Christ alone to save me and take me to heaven. Not because I'm a good person, not because I've earned it, but what Christ did on the cross is entirely enough, it's more than enough to take away all the penalty of my sin and instead give me his righteousness so I can go to heaven. And I trust in his promise to do that. Do you know what that means? I'm not going around trying to earn God's favor. I'm not trying to to say, God, look at me, now I can get to heaven because I've done... That's not how I'm acting. Because I have trusted Christ to save me. Well, if you trust Christ to save you, then you're not going to try and earn your salvation. You're not going to try different gods as well as Christ. It's only Christ. And you're not going to switch around and jump around. It's only Christ. That's about salvation. But what about in your walk? Uh, Do you find that sin overwhelms you? There's just one thing that you can't overcome. It just, every time it pops up, then you fall. It might be a situation with anger or lying or, or theft or, or uh, impure thoughts. Whatever it is, if, if, any time it pops up, that's it. It's just you, you fall into sin again. You know, Christ is the answer to that. Every time it pops up, you can depend on him. But only if you come to him in faith... Hebrews 4, the writer warns us that the, the gospel preached did not benefit 
the, uh, the people of Israel. It didn't benefit them because it wasn't mingled with faith in those that heard it. You know, people can come out to church here and hear the truth of God. And if there's no faith in their hearts, if there's no embracing of it, it doesn't benefit them. You need to depend on God's word, to act as if it's true, to act consistently that what God, whatever God's promise is for your situation, that he is in, involved in it, that he is answering. You can trust him for it. And be like this lady and be able to stand up and praise and confess. And you might be timid and trembling like her, but stand up and confess, you know what? This is what God did to deliver me. I'm whole. I had this problem, but now I'm whole. God has delivered me. You can have that praise flowing out of your mouth because God is the one who answers. If you approach him in faith, you can be this lady too. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your great uh, goodness towards us, your love. And Lord, that uh, every part of our life we can uh, submit to you and, and see you deliver us. And Lord, we would ask that you would work that faith in our hearts and And grow us in that, Lord Jesus. We thank you for being the author and finisher of our faith. And, uh, Lord, that you are guiding us in that. And, Lord, we would look to you. And, Lord, would you quicken us. And, uh, Lord, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, uh, even as he would desire to to take pain and turn it into uh, uh, us uh, denying you or or cursing you, Lord. But instead, uh, would you use it as you intend? Uh, that we would we'd turn to you and in faith and trust in you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.